as we go through the book of Revelation, it, it's one of these things that, um, you know, it, it's, it's the sovereignty of God, and, and we see it. But, but sometimes we, we just we forget about that. We know, yeah, God's God. God's in control. But, but we just go on, and we don't really think, what, what are the implications of that? What does it mean? How, do, how does it impact me? What's, what's going what's to change in my life as a result of this? And chapter, um, chapter 12 is, is the linchpin here of the book. It's, it's the one that everything kind of hangs on, and um, it, it opens up the big theme of it all, and, and it's the war. It's the war that is, is raging against, um, it, that, uh, that pits God and his people against the dragon. So it's, it's us. It's us and God against the dragon. And it's also war between Jesus and the beast or the lamb and the beast. So you have these two things that are going to happen here. So as we come in, in, in verses 1 through 6, um, the first thing we see is God protects his people from satanic harm. He protects us from harm, um, from satanic harm. He protects us from the, the schemes of the devil, from the things that he wants to do to come in and, and destroy us and, and tear us down. In chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, he says, and, I, and a great sign, a sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So as, as we come in, this section introduces three characters in here. So we have the woman, the red dragon, and the child. And, and so as we come in and, and we begin to look at this, the woman we see is, is clothed with this. This is a crazy picture. I mean, if you think about it, she's robed in the sun. She's clothed with the sun. She's standing on the moon. She's got the 12 stars for a crown. And um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing picture. And really, if you come back through what we've read up to this point, you can see this. It's, it's a picture of, of the presence of, of God there. So she's the people of God, past and present. She represents the people of God, past, present, and future. She represents uh, the church or, or Israel in, in coming in. And then the dragon has seven heads. So you think, man, this is a crazy looking, this, this is like your worst nightmare, right? You wake up in the middle of the night. Or do you ever have that dream? I, I have this dream and I still have it. I don't know why I have it, but I have this dream every now and then. And, and in this dream, it's kind of like a nightmare because all of a sudden it's the end of the semester. And I realize that I have this class that I never went to. And I have to have it to graduate. And, and I don't know, I can't fix it. And there's nothing to do. And it's, it's a terrible dream. And I wake up and I don't know what it, I mean, it just drives me insane. I go, why do I dream that? Um, I mean, I've graduated three times, um, you know, and I'm still stupid. So, you, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, 
seven heads. Seven heads, a seven-headed dragon. That is crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's no movies with seven-headed dragons. But that's complete. Seven heads means that it has complete authority. The head, head is oh, this authority. He has ten horns, complete strength coming out of those heads. He has um, complete strength. But, but remember, he only has the strength that God allows him to have. He's on a leash. Remember, the, the devil is on a leash. He has seven diadems, um, crowns. He has complete wealth. He has, he has everything he would want to give, to seduce us. So you have that. So the woman is a sign. As we come in, the woman, it says that I saw a sign in heaven. The woman, she's a sign, and she points to something else. And, and uh, she points to the people of God. You have another sign that's the serpent or the, the, the red dragon, and he points to something. He points to another reality, and, and that is to the devil. He points to Satan and, and his minions. And then, and then there's a third character in there, who is not a sign. He is the reality. It's the child. And that's Jesus. The third one is the reality. The other ones are signs, but Jesus is what is real. He is there. He points beyond himself, um, and and he points us to God, and and he is the reality who will rule with a rod of iron. This is what he says, that, that this child will rule with a rod of iron. So as, as we, we look in there in Psalm chapter 2, come in and, and it's referring back to this psalm, this messianic psalm. And it says, I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And in other words, <clears throat> this tells us what Jesus will do as we come into the psalm. It, it tells, foretells of what he is going to accomplish. Satan tried to destroy Jesus when he was a child. He tried to <clears throat> do that through Herod. You come in in, in the story, the birth narrative of Jesus. Jesus um, is born at age two. Herod hears, you know, from the Magi, there's this king. Well, Herod is, he's a psychopath and he doesn't want anybody that, you know, that might take attention away from him. So he just has all the boys killed under the age of two. Um, so Herod tries to kill Jesus. G uh, Mary and Joseph, they, they take him off to the wilderness and they hide. They go down into uh, Egypt. He is tempted then as a man. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. He goes, he fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. At the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, Satan comes to tempt him and, and to try to destroy what he's come to do. And then on the cross, Satan tries to crush Jesus. He, he uh, gets Judas to betray him and thinking that he is one, but instead Jesus is um, crushing Satan. So John, John's aware of all of this, and, and he's also looking at it and, and seeing it and <clears throat> coming in, and he's looking at what God is doing in heaven at the moment. Not only is he aware of what Jesus has done, but, but now he, in this, in this vision, in this unveiling, this, this um, revelation that we see in this book, God is giving him a glimpse into heaven of what's going on, what is happening in the current, how God is working. So <clears throat> Jesus crushes Satan. 
This is, this is what happens in here, and, and we see it. So you notice that Jesus, he's born. It says the child is born, and then he's caught up to the throne. It's kind of crazy. So you go from Luke chapter 1 to Acts chapter 1 in an instant. And it gets right to the heart of what the mission was, what he came to do. He came to redeem us. He came to defeat sin and death. He bears our sin on the cross, and and then he places his righteousness on us, and it's all there. The resurrection completes it, and then Jesus ascends into heaven. So in in just a sentence, he takes the whole narrative, brings it there, and, and then the attacks of the devil, as we see here, they will never... They will never destroy the people of God. The woman goes into the, into the wilderness. She's protected by God in the wilderness. Um, and if you look in and you see the wilderness thing, you're going to see that throughout the Old Testament. You see the people of God. They went into the wilderness. God protected and provided for them in the wilderness throughout the wanderings for 40 years in the desert. Elijah, he fled into the wilderness where God provided for him and cared for him and, and took place, uh, took Took, um, took him and, and did what needed to be done in his life. So as we come in, we, when we think about the wilderness and, and looking at that and things that go wrong and so forth, we think of it as uh, being a bad thing, but really it's a place of the protection and the provision of God as we come in and we go through life because we're living in a culture that's hostile to the gospel. We are living in a country now that is no longer... Um, reaching out and, and saying, this is what we want. But instead, we, we see it rapidly falling away from the things of God. Our culture rapidly moving away from the things of God. And, and it can seem like we're in a wilderness sometimes, but we have to remember that God protects us in the wilderness. He has a plan and a purpose for us in the wilderness, and he will protect us from being destroyed because we're in a spiritual battle. And this is the battle that's going on here that you see. It's a spiritual battle, and the victory is already won. When you come in, it says the child was born, and the child was caught up to the throne, done. The victory was secure. So our role is to put on the armor of God and stand. That's really what it is when Paul says, you know what, this is what you do. Gird yourself up, put on the armor of God, stand firm and fight. That's the call. And that's what, when we come in here, we see this as, as we come in and we look at this, uh, this big fight going on. And we spend a lot of time coming up to everything going on in Revelation up to this point. And, and what I'd encourage you to do is sit down, take, take some time and sit down and read Revelation from chapter 1 to chapter 22. Read it all the way through. Think about this stuff that we've covered so far, and you'll begin to see things pop up. We've spent enough time in it now that if you read the whole thing through, you will pick up on a lot of stuff up to this chapter, and it will help you to understand the things coming down the pike. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, Paul, he puts, it, he puts it this way. He says that we have this treasure in jars of clay, our salvation, to show that the unsurpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we have protection 
God protects us from Satan and from being destroyed by him. And we see that in the front. And then in verses 7 through 12, we see that the resurrection is the victory for Jesus in the church. So God protects his people, and the resurrection is the victory. It's, it's the thing. So as we come into Easter, you know, three weeks. Easter is three weeks away. Isn't that crazy? Um, and, you know, I thought for sure that all the snow would be melted by now. And it got cold again. I don't know what's up with that, but I thought, I thought that we would not have late college heights this year, but I drove in this morning and I thought, man, we're going to have to have boats out here on Easter to, to ferry people in. So um, <clears throat> I'm praying that the parking lot will drain. I would encourage you to pray with me on that. Um, and uh, there have been years where I wore waders to church on Easter and parked out in the puddles so that we'd have parking spaces, but we got a lot of space. Um, but, but invite people to come. We're going to celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection is what it's about because the resurrection is the victory. It's our victory. It's God's victory. It's the victory for the church. It's the victory for everyone who comes to Christ because that's what's happened there. And we want people to come celebrate the resurrection with us on Easter Sunday. We want to uh, have plenty of spaces for them to park and, and everything else going on. So um, pray for that. Pray, pray about the people you're going to invite, pray about uh, what God's going to do on that day, because I think that there's a great thing that's going on. And I think, you know, just like John saw into heaven that day, I think right now there, there's a battle going on in heaven right now for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls right here in our community to know the gospel, to know Jesus. And we get to be a part of that. We get to invite people to come. We get to share our faith with people. We get to do things that make a difference. So in Verses 7 through 12, it says, Now war arose in heaven. So we saw the war on earth in the first six verses. Now there's a war going on in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. By the way, we see, uh, you can go back to Daniel and see Michael. You can see Michael the angel throughout the Old Testament. But he was defeated. Um, The dragon and his angels fought back, but the dragon was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil, which devil means slanderer, and Satan, which means accuser. Um, So the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of And the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. The devil knows his time is short. So this is where it ends. The battle on the earth, uh, the battle in heaven that, that throws Satan down, you've got this big battle between Michael and the dragon and all of his evil angels. And, and on earth, so it's Jesus winning the battle for all time on the cross. And <clears throat> Now we come into the devil who's, who's a slanderer, and, and that's what he did. That's what he does. He slanders. He slanders God. If you go back, Genesis chapter 3, what, what Satan does, what the serpent does, he slanders God. He tells Eve, he says, look, really, God, God's not going to give you that? I mean, God's holding out on you. 
God doesn't really, um, he, he doesn't really want you to be everything that you can be. He wants you, you know, if, if, you'll, if you'll just do this, if you will do your own thing, you will be God. You can be God. And, and he slandered God. I mean, ultimately, that's really what he did. He, he told her, he said, look, God's holding out on you. He's holding out. And <clears throat> that's what he did. He slandered the goodness of God. Satan means the accuser. And, and that's what he did from that point on. He accused. He accuses us. He accuses us of all kinds of things. That's what he does. That's just what he does. But just like Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, he was also defeated and cast out of heaven by, my, um, by Michael and, and the angels along with Michael. So he can't accuse you. He cannot accuse you. He can slander God all he wants. He can try. But we know better. We know better because we know the Word of God. And, and when you are brought into that, that's where we find the truth. It's in God's Word. And that's where we filter it. We filter it through the Word of God. We filter it through the truth of God's Word. And He can no longer accuse God's people. He can no longer slander God because this is what happened to the devil at the resurrection. He was utterly defeated. So now he's, he's, he's just trying his best to wreak havoc on the world because that's all that he can do. But he has been crushed with the iron rod of the sun. As we come back, you know, you look at that and go, man, an iron rod, that is harsh. But that is it. That is what God did to him. So when he slanders God and tries to get us to compromise the word, remember that the victory is in Jesus. The victory is there. The victory is won. And following him... Following Jesus leaves us with absolutely no regrets. If you want no regrets, be faithful to Christ. If you want no regrets, follow the word of God. Do the things that God calls you to. You won't have any regrets. I'm not saying that it'll be easy. You know, the, the people that say, if you'll just follow Jesus, everything will be perfect in your life. And, and, and you know, you'll, you'll have everything you ever want or whatever. That's not true. But this is true. You'll have no regrets. You will have no regrets. So remember that whenever you buy the lie of Satan, he's never going to let it go. He is never going to let, he's going to accuse you and accuse you and accuse you. He will bring it up over and over and over and over again. He will accuse you forever. He will. As a matter of fact, you may be here today and, and, and you, you constantly, there's something in your past that you just constantly bring up. You constantly, you know what? Um, I'm just never going to be there. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm, 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 I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to get beyond it. Or this is my greatest failure. This is the greatest, greatest <clears throat> disappointment in my life or whatever. Look, let it go. Let it go. That is not from God. Jesus won the battle on the cross. The child was born. The child was caught to the throne. Done. Finished. Over. I like the way Travis Plumley put it. He said, why would you let someone live in your head rent free? I just think that's the best, best thing I've ever heard. Why would you let someone live in your head rent free? And that's Satan. Why would you let Satan live in your head rent free? 
Just throw it back to where it is. We're, we're going to see it again later. Uh, uh, Jesus winning the battle. Jesus conquering. In Revelation 19, 15, it says, From his mouth, from Jesus' mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. You see, God's people conquer through faith. The people of God will conquer through faith, and, and it's a faith that expresses itself in action. It's not just a, a cognitive thing up here. It's not just something that, that we sit and we study the Bible and we know all the stuff of the Bible, but it's, it's a faith that, that we come in and we bring it in our minds. It comes in and, and, it, and we absorb it in our hearts, and then it goes out through the way that we live, and it... Um, he says that, that, people, that these people, they were faithful. They loved not their lives even unto death. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. In other words, they conquered him because of what Jesus did in them. And then their lives reflected it. It reflected the reality of Jesus. And it says, and they loved not their lives even unto death. They were faithful even unto death. They were totally in. They were all in. Um, it doesn't mean that we'll all be martyrs, but it does mean that we're called to be faithful in all circumstances. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to die for their faith. People will die for their faith, but it doesn't mean that everyone will. Um, some will, but it means that we're called to be faithful in all circumstances. We're to love Christ above all. In James 2.26, it says, "For the, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So <clears throat> when we come in and, and we begin to look at this and, and see it, the resurrection is the victory for Jesus. The resurrection is the victory for us. And, and we, we need to come in and, and evaluate our lives and, and wonder, you know, why, why do we sometimes think that we're losing the battle? Why do we think we're losing the battle when the Bible clearly tells us that the, the victory is already won? It's secure. It is secure. The resurrection, the, the cross and the resurrection, the child who's caught up to the throne, it's over. It's done. It's finished. Victory is certain. It will never be taken away. So we're called to stand firm in our faith. We're called to stand firm on the word of God. We're called to stand strong and, and know that the victory has been secured by him. And, and rather than focus on everything going on around us, we should be focusing on what is going on in heaven. We need to be focusing on what God is doing, what God is doing in, in, in places that, that we don't just see by looking around us, but instead we, we pull back the curtain. And this is what, what John saw on that day. I mean, John, he knew, he knew about Jesus. He was there when he was crucified. He was there when he was resurrected. He saw him get caught up into heaven. This is, this is history. When, when you come in, he knows the story. If, if you told him the story of a dragon, a woman, and a child, he'd say, well, I lived it. I saw it. I was there. And then when he has this unveiling on this 
this Lord's Day when he's worshiping and God opens up and, and shows him everything. He says, look, here's the battle that's going on. This is what's going on right now. This is the battle between Satan and, and the world. This is the battle between Satan and, and the armies of God. And the armies of God have destroyed him. He has come down. He is wreaking havoc. He is trying everything that he can because he knows his time is short. He knows. He knows. He knows that, that, that the, these are the last days. He knows that it's over with. So rather than focusing on the things around us and, and looking at, oh, how terrible it is or what's going to happen or whatever, it, it, what he's saying is focus on Christ. Focus on the things of God. Focus on the fact that God has won. Stand firm in our faith, knowing that the devil's time is short. Knowing that his time is short. And then finally in here, in verses 13 through 17, God protects us from being destroyed. He, <clears throat> he protects us from being destroyed. It says, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. We're getting that 1,260, three and a half year thing going on again. Um, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Um, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Boy, I'd really like to stop and go into all this stuff from the Old Testament, but, but, but if you come in here and you look at the flood and everything else coming on, you, you can see the children of Israel going through the, the Red Sea, the waters coming over and, and, um, and taking over the Egyptians. You see the, the flood and, and so forth, and you see the protection of God coming upon the people of God. And Satan pursues us. He chases after us. He wants to destroy us. But our job is to stand firm, is to stand firm and resist his schemes. Look, we've already looked at how we've been sealed a few weeks back and came in and said that, that the people of God have been sealed. They're protected. We are protected in Christ. This is a seal that can't be taken away. We belong to him. We're measured. We looked at that, that we have been measured and we are protected by God. We belong to him as he measured the temple and surrounded it. It means that he protects that which belongs to him. Now we see that God bears us up and protects us from being destroyed by the dragon and the, or, or the devil. So he bears us up. He holds us and protects us from being destroyed. And not only that, he provides every single thing we need. He provides every single thing we need. As, as you come in here, they, 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 the woman was nourished for a time, times and half a time, um, and, and coming in for 1,260 days, three and a half years, um, coming in, in in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, if you go back to the children of Israel coming out, uh, God said, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So we see this, this theme coming over and over and over again of God winning the victory, God providing the victory, God providing for his people, God protecting his people, and God preparing them for what, what is next. So God promises to deliver us not only from our sin, 
but to deliver us into his presence for eternity. So he doesn't just forgive us. He also gives us an eternal hope. He gives us, um, he says that, that he, is, he has a place for us. And so as, as we come in, we, we see that um, God is going to care for us. In Revelation 14, 12, it says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So this is what we are looking, the endurance of the saints that, that continues the comfort of the unveiling. So when we talk about the endurance of the saints, it means that we can persevere, we can win, that we can live out this life in our faith, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the things going on around us, and know that God saves us through Jesus and he protects us through the Holy Spirit. This is the protection that we're seeing going on here. Um, The dragon sees that he's been thrown down. Satan, he's cast out of heaven. He has no place there. He's on a chain. His time is short. He is angry and, and he wants to destroy everything that he can. He's furious with the woman. He is furious with the church. He is furious with the people of God. He is furious with um, Christ. He is furious with everything that is good. Think about it. Think about this. The devil, he knows his time is short. He knows. He knows it's done. He knows that his destiny is the lake of fire. He knows that he will be cast there for all of eternity. We're coming in here into a seven-year period that is, is... beyond anything we could ever imagine when we see described in these chapters. We see a battle, a war that's going on that's, that's beyond anything that we could imagine. But in it all, what we see is God providing and protecting his people, God providing and, and caring for the people that he's cared for for generations, and he will, and, and bringing us into his eternal presence and his eternal protection. So the devil, he knows, he knows that he's lost the battle. He knows that it's, 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 it's over. He knows that he has been defeated and he knows his future and he takes out his rage on us. He takes out his rage on you. Have you ever heard Misery Loves Company? That's the greatest example of it. That's all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said the thief comes to kill, to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. He wants to steal. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your witness. He wants to steal your influence. He wants to steal your family. He wants to steal the things that matter the most to you. He wants to kill it. He wants to kill your spirit. He wants to kill your ability to enjoy life. He wants to kill your ability to do anything that would make a difference for the kingdom of God. And then he wants to utterly destroy everything in your life and everything around you. That's his game. He plays for keeps. But... Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And that's the battle that's going on. So Satan, he knows the gospel. He knows the story. He knows the message. He knows that the child was born and the child was taken to the throne. He knows everything that's going on there. He knows it all inside and out. And he takes it very seriously. As a matter of fact, I would say Satan knows the gospel better than I do. He knows the gospel better than you do. He knows it inside, 
out. And he's intense. He is intense, and he is reaping as much destruction as possible. He knows the time is short. He is cast out of heaven. It said up in verse 12, it said, the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Wrath. Because he knows his time is short. His time is short and the stakes are eternal. They're eternal. So what does he want to do? One, he wants to make sure that as many people as possible go down with him. And then he wants to absolutely persecute the people of God. And then, you know, you wonder, well, why does Satan mess with people who aren't believers and aren't followers of Jesus? Because they're created in the image of God. They're created to know God. They're created to glorify God. They're created to reflect God. And he wants to destroy anything, anything that would honor God in any shape, form, or fashion. It's a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call for us. This is a wake-up call about the urgency of the gospel. It's a wake-up call about the urgency of sharing Christ with the people around us. It's, it's a wake-up call about the need that we have <clears throat> to be aware of what's going on around us. You know, you probably think, well, you know, Scott, he's a pastor, and, and, and this is always, you know, he is just always on the game. It's not true. Look, it's just as easy for me to go through life and, and miss opportunities as anybody else. I have to pray. I have to pray that, you know what, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in a meeting today. I'm going to be around a whole bunch of lost people. I, need, I, need, I have to pray. Before I go into there, I have to pray, God, make me aware of every opportunity that you're placing before me today. Because when I, I'm in a room full of, of, of 150 men, mostly men, I open up their meeting in prayer. I'm, I'm the chaplain guy there, you know. Look, a, a very large number of these men, they don't know Christ. They know me. I mean, I, I get along with most of them pretty well. But I have to be really, really cautious that I don't just go and be one of the guys hanging out. But instead, that I listen to what's going on, to what's being said. And I take advantage of every opportunity I have to inject Jesus into the conversation. I don't have to share a full-on gospel witness with everybody in the room. That's not what I'm saying. It's just saying that every time God gives me an opportunity, every time somebody talks about life and death, things that matter, that's just an opportunity to say, you know what? God has a plan and a purpose. I'd like to share that with you sometime. Or if something's going on in life, to say, you know what? I know people who've been through something like that, and this is what got them through it. It's just pointing things towards Christ. It's moving away from the death and destruction of the dragon, of Satan, and moving towards 
the resurrection and the life of Jesus, the hope that he has for us, the, the thing that he points us to. And so sometimes the truth of the matter is, I treat the gospel like the warning light on my truck. I just know it's there. Yeah, it's going to be below freezing for six months. Click. And I think we all do that, don't we? Sometimes we, we come to church. We, 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 we believe in the blood, the power of the blood, the cross, the resurrection, Easter, Christmas, Jesus having an eternal place for us in heaven, and, and we have a hope that's secure. But it's just, it, it just becomes common. It just becomes common. And, and we don't have that urgency. And <clears throat> Satan has an urgency. And we need to be more urgent. We have to be more urgent. We have to be urgent. We have to play the game with intensity. We have to play it like we know. We know. It's like, if you've been watching this basketball tournament, St. Pete's, how about that? I mean, they're playing with intensity. They're playing to win. They're all in. You can call me a loser all you want. You can call me the number 64 team in the tournament or whatever. We're going to be number one. They believe it. Uh, I hope they get there. That's as far as that illustration can go. Um, but I want to tell you something. With Jesus, it's assured. It is assured. The victory has been won. And he's calling us into this battle. He's calling us to do that. And he wants us to live our lives knowing, knowing, knowing that the people we work with who don't know him, they're dying and heading, heading into a Christless eternity. They're going down with the devil. The people who live next door to you who don't know Christ, that's their destiny. Apart from Jesus, that's their destiny. The people in your family who don't know Christ, that's their destiny. And <clears throat> I think God is calling us to live our lives with urgency. Urgency. Praying for the people around you. Do you have people that you pray for every single day to come to know Christ? Look, sit down and write out a list of all the people that you know who don't know Jesus. And you start praying for them every single day. There are people I pray for every day. And then you start praying for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Not only do you pray for them to know Jesus, but you pray that Jesus will give you the opportunity to share. And don't be afraid. Look, the battle's won. Satan, he's just ticked off. Let him be. You just be mad as long as you want. See where it gets you. Won't get you anywhere, will it? 
We have to be aware and keep in mind that time is short. But eternity awaits. Eternity awaits. So, as we close today and, and look, and, and um, hey, look, wow, you left a lot of stuff out today. I did. I look back and I've been, man, I've been preaching way too long lately. Um, way longer than you can endure. So, I'm, I'm trying to dial it back a little. There's a ton of stuff in here. But if you go back and you read, you're going to see it. But it just comes down to this. We're in a battle. And God protects us in the battle. And he has won the battle. And he wants us to live like winners. He wants us to live with an attitude of winners. He wants us to live with an urgency, knowing that the people around us need to know Christ and that we need to grow in our faith. And this is a game that's played for keeps. And he wants us to know that he has forgiven us of the past. He is with us today. And he will be with us in all of the future. God forgives you, completely forgives you, cleanses you, makes you holy and pure and righteous and blameless in his sight. And he wants to do that in the life of every single person around us. So, what will you do about it? Who will you pray for? And how will you approach the things that go on around you? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Seeing the, the seriousness of the battle that we're in. Father, seeing the stakes. And we ask that you would help us to be aware of it. To never become familiar. with you or what you've done for us, but to always be in amazement, to always stand in awe, and to always seek you with all of our hearts, to love you, just as you called your people thousands of years ago, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Father, that we would do that, and that it'd show itself as we reach out in love to the people around us, as we model your love to them, as we invest in their lives, and we share Christ with those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.